Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Sankey has been a missionary, an evangelist, a wonderful and caring pastor, and an IHC leader for well over four decades. This sermon was preached in 2016 at the IH Convention in Dayton, Ohio, and he titles it, A Call to Revival. I know you will enjoy this wonderful sermon. I have several things that I need to say, and probably the first one is I did not ask for any of this, okay? Uh, what they have said and what they have done uh, is something out of my control, but I do want to say I deeply, deeply appreciate, first of all, uh, Jim and Marie Plank obviously have pulled this together in one way or another, and I want to say to Jim and Marie how much I appreciate it. Not just what they've done tonight, but what Jim and Marie have been doing with Janet and I for a number of years. And so I'm going to make a little bit of a symbolic statement here. Technically, my term as general secretary ends uh, tomorrow night at the end of the convention. And uh, then Brother Planks uh, will technically begin. But symbolically, I am going to step away tonight uh, from the position of general secretary and gladly uh, turn that position over to Brother James Plank, and I want you to join me in a round of applause for Brother Plank and his assuming of the position. Thank you. Jim has made my work much easier for the last few years. He's a detailed person, and uh, he has picked up so much, and I want him to know how much I appreciate it. A second thing, perhaps, I ought to say how, how honored I feel to be surrounded by and backed up by uh, this marvelous group of men and women on the platform, both this level and up above. These are members of the convention committee, and there were many of them, almost all of them, with their wives being here. And I want them to know what a great joy it has been for me and privilege to serve with them. Their great group of men serving on the, uh, the committees, and I appreciate it so very, very much. A third statement would be how much I appreciate having uh, our immediate family here. 
including my sister and her husband from the Pittsburgh area right down front. I'm so glad to have Betty here. If you happen to have the, uh, the Dayton Daily from today, if you, have to, if you have that nearby, look at that center spread. Let me just quickly introduce a little bit of where I'm coming from. Look at this, uh, this particular issue. If it's there around you somewhere, pick it up. And uh, look down in the lower right corner, all right? And in the lower right corner is a picture of a house. And on the front of that house is a set of steps that have red carpeting on them. To the right of those steps is a room. And I was born in the room, that room of that house, X number of years ago. Oh, well, I might as well tell you, 80 years ago. All right? Next to that, to the left, is a picture of my mom and dad, my older brother David, who passed away a couple of years ago, and in my mother's arms, uh, yours truly, at probably about a year old. I was cute. <laughs> the next picture to the left, my mom, my dad, to their left, to our right as we look at, my sister Betty who is here, back row, my older brother David who has uh, deceased, my younger brother Bill who typically is here but is in the hospital tonight. It, it's a quite serious uh, infectious disease and your prayers have been much appreciated and then myself as has been mentioned tonight we did spend some time on the mission field we went to Guatemala in 1962 <clears throat> that hardly seems possible and if you look in the lower left hand corner of that center spread there's a little shot of a hallway with a hammock and that is a little piece of the first house that we lived in, in Jalapa, Guatemala. We lived there for a little over a year. And then to the right of that small picture is a longer house, and that was our first home in the little village of Monjas. And that's where we were living when Beth and Vani were born. Now, they were born in another city, but we were living in that, in that little town. Oh, I don't know, up above that, we were, this is probably Honduras where you see the five of us, picture of myself with Beth in my arms, that's Guatemala, the pictures to the left there, a little bit, little bit more recent, still on the mission field. Uh, over on the right side, there's a picture of a church, Templo Emanuel, it says at the top, that's our church in Monjas, where actually I pastored for a while because the uh, pastor was sick, became sick, and I had to fill in because there was not a national pastor to take uh, that place. And so I pastored that church for a little while. Up above that is a picture. I believe I'm preaching in Progreso uh, Sula in Honduras, uh, preaching in Spanish. And then up above another picture of our family. I must add at least one other thing. For one thing, the preacher uh, told me I had to. I must add this thing, and that is that uh, for 30 years, I was working with IHC uh, for most of that time, working with God's Bible School for part of that time, with the Society of Indian Missions for another part of that time, with FEA, HIM. But for 30 years of those activities, there was a church 
in southern Indiana that allowed me to travel. It's not that they were always happy with it, but at least they gave me permission. And I want to recognize Faith Mission Church in Bedford, and I want all of you who typically are affiliated with Faith Mission Church, if you will, to stand right now. I want you to stand wherever you may be. All right, now stay standing just for a minute, all right? Now what I want you to do is wave your hand so I can see you, all right? I know there they are, all right. Thank you so very, very much. God bless you, and thank you for being here tonight. The last thing that I would want to do would be to bring this service to some kind of a conclusion on a, on a low note. But I'm going to share with you three scriptures, including my life scripture, which began probably under the ministry of H. Rob French. And that life verse is found in Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. One of the things that my early holiness heroes impressed upon my heart is that if I'm going to go anywhere with God, if I'm going to rise in the work of the kingdom, the way is always down. That's tough because we want to do something for ourselves. But God's way is always the humble way, the lowly way. I'm here, not, as Brother Avery said, not because I have ever sought uh, position. It just, it's just not going to happen. Matter of fact, when Tim Cooley was writing his dissertation, he said, I want you to give me something on leadership uh, from your position as general secretary. And I said, well, if you're going to give that section a title, title it the reluctant leader. Because even though Brother Schmuel had more or less anointed me to take this position, it was certainly not something that I coveted. And after, I really argued with the Lord a little bit after they first elected me. But finally, I came to this conclusion. I said, Lord, I said, I humanly, I don't want to be here. But since I am here, I'm going to do the best that I can for as long as you have me here. And I meant that sincerely, and I mean it sincerely tonight, that I've tried to give the best that I know how, as weak as that may have been, I have tried to give it all that I know how to give to the leadership of the convention. The very heart of IHC, let's look at the name just for a second. IHC in its character is inter-church, which simply means that it is an attempt to bring people of different churches, of different stripes, bring them together for the purpose of praying together and seeking God for revival together to enjoy each other's fellowship. And I hope 
that IHC will always be inter-church. Our middle name is holiness. That means that we take our place with those who believe that God not only can save us thoroughly and change us from the man or the woman who we were into something brand new, but we also believe that God in his wisdom and in his power has provided a way to deal with that inner nature of sin because that's the thing that causes the problem. And somewhere, somehow, we have to be willing to let God deal with that thing in our hearts and cleanse it out of our hearts. I hope IHC will always be holiness. I might throw in that being holiness, it does ask something of us. Holy people are different than unholy people. Amen? And uh, I'll talk a little bit, I hope little, about that in just a few moments. And the last thing is it's a convention. That simply means that we really have hardly any organization. This is as close to organization as you can find in IHC. About 40 men who meet once a year and go over the finances to make sure that everything is being handled correctly and make some choices and some decisions and elect some people. And basically that's what IHC consists of as far as organization is concerned. But for the few remarks that I want to make, I want to talk about the heartbeat of interchurch holiness convention. I hope we will always be holiness in doctrine, but at the very heart, the very core of why IHC was founded is the fact that we believe that the church of today needs revival. Revival has always been the theme. I hope it will never cease being the theme of IHC. It is the one hope that we have that God may yet do something with us if he will get to our hearts and give us the revival that we seek. So let me ask you, are you, are you praying for revival? Is your church praying for revival? Does your school need revival? Do your mission fields need revival? What is it going to cost to have revival in the conservative holiness movement? Incidentally, I belong to that group, all right? God being my helper, that's where I intend to stay. Our pastor preached back in the fall, preached a message on Sunday morning from the revival psalm. Psalm 85, which says this, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? He preached his message at the end. He called the church to come up front as we typically do and have a time of united prayer that as a church, as Faith Mission Church, we would pray and seek and hold on to God for revival in our local assembly. I don't know why I stood there as long as I did. My wife actually kind of pushed me out of the way so she could go to the front. And for some reason, I stood there thinking, 
praying. And then I said, okay, let's, let's go, you know, and I walked down the center aisle or the side aisle. The altar was filled and the front seats were filled with people who were praying and seeking God. And so I walked off to the right side and there's a, a ramp, a, a, I suppose a wheelchair accessible ramp on the right side of the platform. And not seeing an easy place to go and kneel, I went to that ramp and I fell on my knees and I said, oh God, what is it going to cost for Faith Mission Church to have revival? And the Lord answered, I believe. And I haven't spoken this message at Faith Mission Church, but I'm at least going to give you the three points that I felt God laid on my heart. The Lord said, one of the things that's going to cost the conservative holiness movement is realization. Right? Just hold that in your mind for a few seconds. The second word was reconciliation. And the third word was restoration. Well, as many of you know, I like alliteration. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, the Lord said realization, reconciliation, restoration. Sounds like a pretty good outline. But with this penchant I have to do alliteration, I added a couple of words to call it personal realization, pertinent reconciliation, and principled restoration. My guess is I will not be able to deal with any of them as I want, but let me at least start with personal realization. And I believe, I believe God spoke to my heart. And I still believe that it holds true tonight. Personal realization. It has to do with taking personal inventory of who I am and where I am spiritually. Would you be willing to do that with me? Can I look over here? Can I look over? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to do a personal realization of who you are and where you are spiritually? We all understand just how, just how important inventory is in the business or the commercial world. We go through the supermarket and we see people with little gadgets in their hand and they're scanning barcodes and they're counting how many items are on the counter because they're taking inventory to know when they have to replenish their stock and when they need to order more material. And inventory is, is important. Richard Price was at GBS with me over 55 years ago. And in a recent issue of a sister holiness publication, he wrote about personal inventory. And he told the story of how he worked in a, in a large department store and he worked in the shoe department. And at a certain time of the year, he was with others in the department and they were taking inventory of their shoe stock. They opened every box. They checked the contents. They checked the, 
probably not the barcode that far back, but they checked the information on the box to make sure that everything matched. And as they were going through the boxes, they came to one, and when they opened it up, they found a well-used old pair of men's shoes in the new shoe box. Evidently, somebody had come along, liked what the new shoes looked like, put them on, and left his old shoes in the box. And it would not have been discovered probably until in some embarrassing moment when a customer pulled that box out and found an old pair of shoes. But because they took inventory, they found out that something was amiss. And it might be surprising for us if we were to honestly do a personal realization tonight to find out how many old clodhoppers are sitting in the closet of our soul. It might be interesting to find out how much out-of-date material is residing on the inside. And I think the point that I am trying to make is that we're lazy enough and we're apathetic enough that unless we choose to take personal inventory, some of that out-of-date stuff may stay there for the rest of our lives and actually not only hinder our spiritual lives, but may affect our eternal destiny. And I'd like to tell you tonight, may God help us to do personal realization. Now, I don't want anybody to get bent out of shape on how you feel. How you feel is not my issue tonight. Because I know that in a congregation such as we have, there are people here who are under enormous financial pressure or they may be under family distress or they may have all kinds of emotions going on on the inside. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about who you are on the inside, at the core of your being. And to be honest enough and strong enough and courageous enough to say, Lord, I want to have a personal inventory of who I am and where I am spiritually. It might even cost some of us seated on this platform. I don't know. But I know that preachers are no different than lay people. We all have issues. We all have problems. And unless we have those issues taken care of, we soon get into a situation where our shelves are filled with out-of-date stuff. So look back over the last month and tell me who you are. Or look back over the last six months and tell me who you are. Take a look. Examine. What's going on down here? One of the things that I would be concerned about would be this. Do you have tonight, on this Wednesday evening, do you have a sense of acceptance by God that God accepts you as his child? There is in the last issue of the Convention Herald an article by R.E. Carroll about the witness of the Spirit. And if you didn't read it when you get home, take time 
to read that because I believe that scripturally every Christian has the right to expect that he can know whether or not he is accepted by God. And I think too many of us kind of float along. We have maybe membership in a church or we do something in a church, but without any real sense that I know as an individual that I am accepted by God, that I am his child. John Wesley is not the only one who should be able to testify. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. Now listen, and assurance, an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You may not use that language, but I want to ask you tonight, do you have a sense of acceptance with God? And the assurance that your sins have been forgiven, that you are walking in the light, that you are doing what God wants you to do. We sing it a little more comfortably, perhaps, in the words of Charles Wesley, where he cries in that beautiful hymn, My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, have a father cry. It is not my business to tell a man or a woman or a boy or a girl when they were saved. I believe it's God's business to let us know when we have been accepted by God. It may be primitive. I understand that. I I lived on a mission field. I worked on a mission field. And I understand with people who are coming out of, of rawness, I understand that they're not going to understand our language. But I have found out that God has his ways of making even those people know the assurance that they have been accepted by God. It's kind of a story like, We heard this afternoon, we were opening the work in Honduras and uh, we went to a particular particular section of the city of San Pedro Sula and uh, we had a a group on the outside. Well, we didn't have any churches anywhere. We didn't, didn't even have a room to meet in. So all of our meetings in the early years were held out under the trees or out in the open air. And most of the time at night, they were lit with a kerosene lantern. We were in one of those services. I think there were 80 or 85 people there that night. It was one of the very first services that we held in Honduras. And I don't know what I preached. I have no idea. But I preached, and I preached to the salvation of these people. As far as I know, almost every one of them for the first time to hear an actual gospel message. And when we got to the end, my wife has the only chair that they own in that house. She's seated because she was playing the accordion. That's the only chair that we had. My older brother was visiting. He held our two girls in his arms sitting on a tree stump because that's the second chair that we had. All the rest of the people were standing throughout the service. And you understand, I see missionaries here tonight, and perhaps you know what it's like to 
teach somebody who has never sung a gospel chorus to sing. Now, nothing for us. We grow up with it. But for people who never have sung a chorus, it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting. And thank the Lord that while for the time that we were in Honduras, God, God gave to my wife the gift to be able to play an accordion. I don't think she could play it tonight. <laughs> and even then, I don't know that she would have been able to play the piano because she still doesn't. But she could play the accordion. And she would go with me, especially in the very early days, to help me to teach the people a chorus. Because that's a good way to introduce the, the gospel to people. And so we had that service. And I don't remember, I'm assuming that we taught them three or four different choruses and had prayer. And I read scripture. And at the end of the service, I said, now here is the message of the gospel. It is the message that Jesus Christ died for all men. And you can have your sins forgiven and know that you have been accepted by God as simply as I could, of course, in the Spanish language. So I said, here's the message. I wonder if there is someone in this group of 80 or 85 who would like to give their hearts to God tonight. I resisted using, in Spanish, we use the expression a lot of accepting Jesus. It's very common. Everybody uses it, I guess. But I kind of resisted it. I wanted them to, I wanted them to do something, something dramatic. I wanted them to receive the Lord. I wanted them to ask God into their lives. And so I asked them how many would like to give their hearts to God and I was kind of amazed because there was no place for them. It was just dirt. I didn't ask them to kneel. Maybe I should have. But I asked them to step out. And children started stepping out. And then older people started coming. Until I think there were 11 children and 11 adults who stepped out of that crowd of perhaps 80 and said they wanted prayer to give their hearts to God. And I prayed for them. And something like we heard this afternoon, you can't, you can't get somebody saved by helping them pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> well, anyhow, I, I was dumb and I didn't know any better, so I did the sinner's prayer. And I had them repeat it after me. Can God do anything with that? Well, yes, he can. Here was one of the interesting things. Uh, some of the kids and Janet and I went to Honduras to celebrate the 40th year since we had gone there and I guess next year we'll be coming up on 50 I, oh that's scary but anyhow we went back to celebrate one of the anniversaries and uh, so during that anniversary service they asked a lady to come to the front 100 years old sitting right back at 100 she came to the front and she said something like this, and I hope you understand it's not trying to draw attention here, but rather what God can do with a sincere heart. She came to the front and she said, I thank God that he ever sent Pastor Sankey right here to this neighborhood. 
And he, she said, I thank God for that very first service where I gave my heart to God. This is 40 or 45 years later, and she's still walking with God at 100 years of age. Ladies and gentlemen, if you give God a sincere heart, it's amazing what he can do. We get all tied up because we know so much. But really what God wants is someone sincere of heart to give themselves to God and let him do the work that he wants to do. I like the sense of assurance. Doddridge put it like this, and this verse has been quoted today. Tis done, the great transactions done. I am my Lord's and he is mine. He drew me and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. Let me just offer one more thing, and I'll quit. Not only a sense of acceptance, but can I ask you, are you growing at all in the Lord? Are you doing anything that makes you, helps you grow in grace? My primary care provider is in the service tonight. I told him I was going to talk about him. I won't mention his name, though I'm tempted to. But my primary care provider is in the service tonight. And because I started having symptoms of arthritis, he sent me to a rheumatologist. And so I started going to see this rheumatologist in Bloomington, which is about 22 miles north of where we live in Bedford. And uh, it's, it's been interesting. You know, you go in there and... Uh, they take your vital signs, okay? One thing they make you do is get on the scale to see how much you weigh, to see if you have put on, put on too much weight or lost too much weight, right? You're afraid I'm going to ask you what your last test looked like. And then she checks my blood pressure. And I'm happy to tell you tonight, I always run low. I think the last one was like 105 over 65 or something like that. Just enough to charge, charge things up. And then they, she checks my pulse rate. She asks me questions. I fill out a form. And then they do blood tests. And the blood tests reveal thyroid function, liver function, cholesterol levels, blood count, all that stuff, a whole long list of it. It prints out what all these things are. And I want to tell you it's an amazing thing when the doctor looks at that sheet of paper and he says, all your numbers are normal. Amen? Like they ought to be. Now, don't ask me how it happens. Because as has been mentioned, I like chocolate, I like ice cream, I like cake, I like pie, etc., etc. Thank you, sir. It's a wonderful thing when the doctor says my numbers are good and I walk out feeling good because I've done an assessment and everything looks normal. But I wonder tonight as we sit here in these last few moments of this very, very unique service that we've had, I wonder what it would be like for any of us or all of us, should we sit down with the great physician and ask him to check our hearts? I wonder what he would find. Maybe he'd ask a question like this. Are you walking in the light? 
Now listen, I know we say that a lot, but we need to understand that's a biggie because God is continuously putting light in front of us. In thy light shall we see light. As we walk, he gives us more light. And I just need to ask you on the part of the Father, are you walking in the light tonight? It's a valid question. Much more valid than my, than my, heart, my blood pressure. Does God find bitterness or resentment or wrong anger or wrong desires or pride? Does he see spiritual carelessness? Does he find in us a tendency to be forgetful about the very most important things in our life? It's not a bad idea to check our spiritual vital signs from time to time. I have so much here, I'm just, I'm going to quit. We need a personal realization. We need a pertinent reconciliation. I thought this afternoon, and I have it written down somewhere, but I have so many pages of stuff. But I thought this afternoon, I wonder in how many of our mission fields we need reconciliation. You say, Brother Sankey, wait. We send sanctified men and women to the mission fields. I understand that. But I want you to understand also that mission fields can be like pressure cookers. And sometimes those little personality quirks show up very, very big. There would have been times during our time in either Guatemala, especially Guatemala, but somewhat in Honduras, where if the Lord would have checked up on us, he probably would tell us, you need some pertinent reconciliation. My mother had a unique way of dealing in that area. She wasn't a preacher. She was just a, a lay person in our local church. But when she began to sense that things were not going well enough between the people of the church, she would call for a say-so meeting. I think Brother Loper mentioned that last night. Let me explain. I wish I'd love to have one right here, but I can't imagine how we could pull it off. I'd love to have a say-so meeting. Will you say, Brother Sankey, okay, but what's a say-so meeting? A say-so meeting is simply this. Let's say that there are people here in this church, in this meeting tonight, that you know, maybe you go to the same church, Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher and a Sunday school scholar. But something has come up between those two individuals. A say-so meeting gives us the opportunity of going to that individual and saying so. In other words, I am sorry for my part in what has happened. I ask you to forgive me. You say, Brother Sankey, do you have any idea how much that cost? Yes, I think I do. I don't know of anybody that's had to ask more forgiveness than what I have. Some of it, I admittedly, is because I am very, very sensitive. I would rather suffer hurt myself than to allow some kind of rancor or bitterness or grudge to continue on. I'd far rather take the blame whether it's mine or not. And that's the humble way. And I believe it's the way that clears the channels 
so the Holy Ghost can move like he wants to move. A say-so meeting has both that negative side and a positive side. You may have your pastor here, and after this service, you may want to go to your pastor and say so. I appreciate your ministry. Or someone else in the church or someone else in your family and say, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you moms and dads with young children, I hope you're already telling your children that you love them. Say it out loud. Say it to them. Make sure they understand that you love them. My wife and I decided when we were first married that one of the things that we would do is that we would make sure that our children knew from as early as they could possibly understand that they would know that they had a mom and dad that loved them. And very clearly, I remember before the birth, before the birth of all three children, I'm not trying to be out of place when I say this, but I would kneel down by my wife's side and put my head against her body and pray for that child and tell that child, I love you. As soon as the child was born, we would bend over the crib. I love you. It doesn't make any difference whether they understand or not. You're feeding something into them. One of the great things about having my family here is that we still share a lot of love between us. And my son, who is bigger than I am, heavier than I am, but not quite so good looking. <laughs> anytime we talk, anytime we email, it's always, love you, Dad. I love you, son. Wouldn't it be magnificent if our churches were filled with that kind of attitude that we actually loved people and expressed it actually that's what a say so meeting really is supposed to be you go to somebody and say I love you it might not hurt these guys behind me this is not an accusation I'm just pulling it out but it might not hurt the guys behind me on this level on that level after the service ends, to get together and say, Brother, I want you to know I love you. Have confidence in you. And if there is something between them, to ask forgiveness. And when forgiveness is asked, Christians forgive. And I have confidence in these men that if there should be something, and they should ask for forgiveness, that the other brother is going to say, brother, I forgive you and fall into each other's arms and express that love. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. As has been passed, I don't want to lose the fight.